All right. Thank you, Brother Michael. Thank you, Tim, for the good music. Appreciate your preparation. I enjoyed all of those songs. And thank you so much for today on the Lord's Day uh, to worship Him and honor Him for all that He's done in our hearts and lives. I hope you brought your Bible. I want you to turn to two places, if you will, in Luke chapter 23. Uh, if you'll locate that first, Luke chapter 23. And then Hebrews chapter 9, in that order. Uh, we'll look at some other places, but uh, primarily have you there. And then we'll have some verses on the screen for you. Luke chapter 23 and Hebrews chapter 9. This coming July will be the uh, 40th anniversary. I hate to call it an anniversary. Uh, it'll be the 40th uh, 40 years since uh, my grandmother uh, passed away. I guess the anniversary of her home going, uh, being able to go to heaven. And the 14th uh, year of my father's passing. And I well remember the final conversations I had with my grandmother. She passed away on a Wednesday afternoon at 3.45 and the night before on Tuesday, I stayed up all night long with her, and we were able to talk. I asked her some specific questions and uh, laid down beside her in the bed, sat in the chair beside her. And uh, I was the uh, oldest grandchild, so I knew her best, and we had uh, a very, very positive, healthy, and good relationship. She greatly, greatly influenced my life. And I remember those conversations. I remember the last conversation I had with my mom just a couple of years ago. And the very last uh, really word, uh, two words that she said to me. Last words are, are precious words. They're, they're memorable words. And they're also instructive words. They're instructive in this sense. They tell a lot about the heart of a person. They tell a lot about the nature of the relationship that you have with them. And the same was true about the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung on the cross. When you read about the words of Jesus when he hung on the cross, they instruct us about his heart. They instruct us about the relationship that it's possible that you can have with him if you would put your faith and trust in him. And so we want to look at these statements. There were seven specific statements. They're short statements, but they're very powerful. They're very significant. I had preached through this maybe 25 years ago. It's been a long, long time. Uh, three of them are prayers. Uh, the first one, the middle one, and the last one. And all of those are given to us um, in the Word of God here. Let me just go over these quickly with you. In Luke 23, and we'll look more in the text here in a moment, the Lord Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said that from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second thing Jesus said from the cross, I don't want you to turn to the passages, he said to one of the thieves, there were two thieves on each side of them. One thief accepted him, the other thief rejected him. And uh, he said again in Luke, in Luke chapter 23, he said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And then in John chapter 19, he spoke a word to his mother Mary, and he spoke a word to his disciple John, who were standing there at the foot of the cross. In John chapter 19 and verse 26, this is interesting. He said to his mother, woman, behold thy son. He didn't say mother. Isn't that interesting? We cover this. We'll talk about that. He didn't say mother. He said woman. But then when he addressed John in the next verse, in verse 27, he said to John, he said, behold thy mother. And uh, he said, I want you to treat her as my mother. And, and he did. His father was not there. Uh, most Bible teachers believe that he died in Jesus' teenage years. The last time you see his father was in Luke chapter 2. And after that, you do not see uh, 
the father, the stepfather, actually, of the Lord Jesus Christ when he was 12 years old. The fourth statement that Jesus made, again, was a prayer from Matthew 27. It's also given in Mark 15 when he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's when the sky turned dark. And uh, there's evidence, uh, historical evidence, that it just didn't turn dark there. At noon, he was on the cross from noon till, I'm sorry, from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon. So right around noon, the sky became dark. There was a great earthquake. And, uh, but there at noon, that it was not just a localized darkness, the brightest time of the day, but it was worldwide. There's historical evidence for that. And then the fifth statement was also given in John chapter 19 when Jesus said, I thirst. Now that has both a literal um, meaning, but also a, a spiritual meaning when he said, I thirst. The sixth statement is very special, has very special meaning for us as Christians when he said, it is finished. Now you've heard this before, but it's true. Uh, Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He came from the grave three days later. What did he mean when he said, it, it is finished? And we'll talk about that. And then the last thing he said is also given to us in Luke there in verse chapter 23, in verse 46. When he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. You see, the, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. John chapter 10 and other places in the Bible says that he laid down his life for us. And the Bible says that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit, or he gave up the ghost, as it says there, which means his spirit. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Fascinating text. There are those seven statements, and they're they're very full of meaning. Now, as believers, we celebrate Easter uh, not just in the spring, uh, we're reminded of them, but we celebrate it every Lord's Day. But we celebrate it every day because we have Jesus in our in our life. And every day is a day of resurrection. Every single day. He's alive in us. He lives in us. If you know Christ, He lives inside of you. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, He lives in you through His Holy Spirit. And uh, that's a wonderful, wonderful relationship. And so we celebrate the resurrection every day. But there's a special time in the spring when we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's a good thing to do. Because the resurrection guarantees our own resurrection that we will be raised from the dead. And also the promises in the Word of God that we will, we will see our loved ones and friends again one day. Now, this past week, I looked up in the calendar. I had Paula to help me with it, actually. Easter is April the 17th. And I've been praying. I wanted to get the precise date. I know it was in April sometime. But um, I've been praying about what our church should do to make this a special time. But I've been preaching how to pray for lost people. I gave you some things to pray for lost people. There's six prayer requests. There's three prayer requests you pray for yourself. And there's three prayer requests you pray for them. And I'm going to interrupt that that series of messages. And the first three I gave you, if you want to pray for lost people, pray for compassion. And then pray for boldness. This is not abruptness. It's just where you can plainly give them the Word of God. To be bold about it. To be plain about it. And then to pray for power. And really, power is a byproduct of your walk. Just just pray for uh, the Lord to help you to walk closely to Him, to live a holy life, and God will give you His power. But I want to interrupt that, and then later I'll give you the last three prayer requests, which is what you pray for your lost friends and your lost relatives and other people that you encounter along the way that you want to see come to Christ. And these are special things that you pray for them. But up until Easter, I want to preach on these seven statements when Jesus was on the cross. I want you to get a burden for lost people. And in fact, before Easter, I want you to to invite people. I I remember most of the messages I preach on Sunday morning are for Christians. 
Now, I do that on purpose because that's, that's what the Bible tells me to do in Ephesians chapter 4 and other places. Uh, the pulpit is, is not primarily an evangelistic pulpit. You're to preach the gospel. But the Bible says that the, the purpose of the pastor is to equip the saints so they can do the work of the ministry. That is, you leave here and you, you win people to Christ and you bring them back to strengthen the people. That's the purpose of the pulpit. But I want to, to preach plain gospel messages. And in years past, I would, I would tell you I'm going to, to preach the gospel on this Sunday or this Sunday and give you notice so you'll invite friends. And so on each of these Sundays up until Easter and maybe a Sunday or two after, I'm going to be preaching these simple, simple gospel messages on how they can come to know Christ from these uh, texts when Jesus was hanging on the cross on the cross of Calvary. Now, the theme of the cross is, is so broad, it, it's so deep, that, that it's impossible to comprehend, but, but it, it so blesses your heart. In fact, one of the songs with the Tim Ledison this morning, uh, My Jesus, I Love Thee, is one of my favorite songs. Another one is, uh, He is So Precious to Me. Another one is, Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross. There's a line, uh, in Jesus, Keep Me Near the Cross, a lyric that just says uh, that to keep its shadow over me or over me. And I, I say this sometimes that words mean things. Not to be smart, Alec, but they do. They mean things. And you can't meditate without thinking about the significance and the meaning of a word. And when I would hear that, when Jesus keep me near the cross. And in one of the verses, to keep the shadow of the cross over me. And it goes back to First John, I think it's 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. And if I want to be near the cross, uh, it, that's not going to come through my power. But as I contemplate the cross, as I contemplate what he did for me, then I will love him and I will love what he has done for me. Now, we think about the cross, we think about Calvary. There are lots of churches that are named Calvary. Baptist Church. I served in a church. In fact, the church before I came here was called uh, Calvary Road. It wasn't on Calvary Road. In fact, uh, the name of the street it was on was Beulah Street. And the church didn't name it that. The, the city did. It was a secular naming. But uh, Beulah is in the book of Isaiah. And, and of course, Squire Parsons wrote that song, Beulah Land. It's kind of a, a name for heaven. So Calvary Road Baptist Church was on Beulah Street. The word Calvary is from the Latin word Calvaria, which means a skull, a skull. And the Aramaic expression of it means Golgotha. That's why we'll talk about Golgotha and Calvary are interchangeable. They're just in different languages, pronounced different. Now, we don't know why that Calvary, the hill of Calvary, we call it a hill. Uh, really, the Bible never calls it a hill. But I think we have come to that because of a song. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. And sometimes we get our theology from songs. And uh, many times it's good unless it's not theological. I love that song too. Love that song. Great, great words. But, um, and, and, and we're not sure unless it was just a symbol of death where they had a lot of executions there. But in 1882, I believe it was, there was a man named, named uh, General Gordon. He was an officer in the uh, British Army, a general. And uh, he was a believer. And he was uh, in the home of Horatio Spafford. You know who that was? Horatio Spafford wrote it as well with my soul. And Spafford was living there uh, right up on the outside of Jerusalem. Uh, with his wife, and he would visit them frequently. And he was looking out on, on the northern part of outside where Jesus was crucified outside, outside of the walls, outside of the walls. And there's a, <coughs> excuse me, a little congested today. I've been there, and then there's a traditional place where that uh, another group says Jesus was crucified that's inside the city walls. And I've been to that. That's really decorated and it's dark and a lot of candles and things. 
But in, in 1882, I believe it was, uh, Spafford had seen that, and he said, not Spafford, Spafford's home, but Gordon saw that. He said, look at that. that. That is shaped like a skull. And today it's called Gordon's Calvary. And you have a picture of that. I want to show it to you. This picture was taken, I believe it was 1909. I believe it's something like So about 25 years later. Now, he said, well, I can't see it. I know it's a small television uh, screen. But it's not dead on, but it's to the left of the screen. Um, if you can see, I don't have a pointer, but right here, do you see it right there? Some of you do. It's it's not the hard line, but right to to the left, you see the two eyes and kind of a mouth and so forth. And he was looking there, and he said, that looks like a skull. Well, that was 1882. When 1865, 17 years before, they had discovered within walking distance, which if you see the white wall, you see the white wall? That is right over to the left, right in the corner there. There's a garden there in that picture. Uh, that picture was like in the early 1900s. But in 1965, a garden was discovered there. And it was covered in debris about 10 to 15 feet. They had a lot of earthquakes in. I'm going to show you a picture of that because it's not the purpose of the message. But... Uh, they did some digging. They discovered a tomb there. And uh, so when people go to visit, they believe that this was a crucifixion site of the Lord Jesus Christ on, on the top of the place there where the skull is. And the Bible says that they carried him to the place there where he was buried in a tomb that had never been used. And it's right on the other side of that wall. And I've been to both of those places. Now, I, I didn't get to go to Calvary. I just saw it from where the uh, the garden was. On top of it now is a Muslim cemetery. You cannot go there. At the bottom of it is a, is a bus station uh, run by Arabs. Show the next picture if you would. I put a, gave him a couple. That's the way it looks today. And you can see it's modern. And that's the kind of the bottom of the bus station. You can still see the eyes and the nose. And, you know, I can't tell you that's for sure where it happened, but, but most Bible teachers believe that at the top of that hill, and you can see, even see the cemetery up there, uh, and you cannot go up there unless you're an Arab. And there's one more picture I think I gave you, and that's even more of a closer view. So Calvary, the place of the skull. Now, when Jesus hung on the cross, he made these seven short statements. Each statement had something very powerful about our redemption. We want to look at the first one that's in the Gospel of Luke. Three of the statements are given to us in the Gospel of Luke. The first statement, the second statement, and the last statement. The first one speaks to our deepest Need, And I want you to look with me this morning, open your Bibles, hope you have it there in Luke chapter 23 and notice in verse 32. Luke 23 and verse 32. And there were also two other malefactors. Now that's uh, just a word we don't use today. It's, it means a criminal. But it's not just a petty thief. It's, it's someone that is very evil and wicked. Now when you think about it, they were given the death penalty. So perhaps they murdered someone, but they had done something that demanded the death penalty. These two, not just thieves, but criminals, wicked people. There were also two other malefactors led with Jesus to be put to death. And when they were come to the place, that is all three of them, which is called Calvary, the skull, the place of the skull, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, after they had been crucified, and we'll talk about that next week a little more. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the first thing he said from the cross. They parted his raiment and cast lots. In other words, they, 
they gambled. Uh, I don't know that they, they rolled dice. Uh, when it says they cast lots, a lot of times it was uh, usually they had these uh, like uh, sticks, if you will. And there were different sizes, and whoever got the short stick drew the short stick, something like that. And they cast lots, and that was a reward. They, they were able to, to keep the clothes of the person who, who had died. And the people, and notice this, there are different groups. Did you ever thought about Calvary, how many people were there? And the people, this was a common people, stood beholding. They just watched. And the rulers, these are religious rulers, a religious crowd, also with them derided him, that is Jesus, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, mocking him. If he be Christ, the chosen of God, that is the Messiah, let him save himself. So you've got the people, the rulers. Here's the third crowd. And the soldiers also mocked him. Coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. All this mocking. How many people were there? I think more than 20. I think more than 50. I think there were scores there, perhaps hundreds. And I think people passed by because it was a common thing to to come, almost like Westerns when you hung people and even in... And, and um, different states today when they execute people, whether it's beheadings in the Far East, uh, people come out and they celebrate those things, sometimes in stadiums. And the word would, oh, there's going to be an execution today. It's going to be a crucifixion today. And people would come and gather. And certainly the people, some of them that love Christ, were there. And a superscription was written over him in letters. This is significant. In Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. Remember, Pilate's the one that did this. This is the king of the Jews. Remember, the religious folks said, no, don't do that. Say that he said, I'm the king of the Jews. And and Pilate said, no, what I've written, I've written. But when he did it, he put it in Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. I think God had him to do that. Greek was the common language. Latin was the language of educated people. And Hebrew was the language of... The religious people. Jesus was the Savior of the world. Whether you're common, whether you're religious, or whether you're educated, it doesn't matter where you're from. He came to die for you. And, and that sign spoke to the world. And so this, this first word from the cross, Father, forgive them. And there are three divisions in the message. I just want to give you the first one. I wanted to... Do more than this. But as I went through it, I thought, I, I want to give this, I want to have your full attention because this is so fundamental and, and foundational to who you are as a Christian. This is not just for lost people. Some of you, the reason you, listen, the reason you doubt your salvation is because you, you do not fully comprehend for, forgiveness. So I, I've been forgiven, but you do not understand Forgiveness is a judicial issue. It's a transactional issue that results in transformational matters. But we focus on the transformational, not realizing that there was a transaction that happened at Calvary. So the first thing I want to give you today is just this idea. Number one, what Jesus Christ was offering. What was he offering? Well, in his prayer, he said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. He was offering them, he was offering us forgiveness. This is our greatest need, our greatest need. Now listen, friends, you're never going to appreciate something unless you need it. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but uh, I wonder how many people have fire extinguishers in their home. Don't raise your hand. I remember Jeremiah went through the fire department. All of a sudden, he had a burden that we get a fire extinguisher in our home. He never had that burden before, but all of a sudden he, he knew that we needed one. Say, Brother Rick, what kind did you get? We don't have one yet. Uh, we were in Costco the other day walking down the aisle, and I stopped there. Paula wanted to go. I said, where are you going? I like to go to Costco to walk, you know. I love to walk. And uh, I go to Costco. I really do. I go to Costco to walk. I do that. 
And she walked down this. She said, oh, I just want to go see what's, what's down this aisle. So I just, like an obedient husband, you know, I, I walked behind her. And uh, so I saw some fire extinguishers over. I said, hey, we need, we need to get one of these. She just kept on walking, so I just put it up there. But uh, we're going to get one. One day I'm going there by myself, and I'm bringing it home. Um, we don't appreciate something until we see we need it. I guarantee you one thing. If you ever had a fire in your kitchen, you have a fire extinguisher. Because you realize, I'll never, I'll never be without one again. Because we always assume, well, that will never happen to me until it happens. And everybody needs to be forgiven, but the reason we don't cry out for forgiveness is we think, well, we're not going to die, or I'm a good person, I'm not that bad. I think... Perhaps not the greatest, maybe it is to me, but there are some others too. But I love this verse. To get the gospel to people. In March of 1981, I was sitting with Gary Bird in his home. He'd been to our church several times. And uh, he was 15 years old. I sat down in his home. And he said, when you read that verse, God spoke to me that I was lost. And I think it's because it's the most powerful verse on the gospel in the Bible. It's Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because it gives both sides of the gospel. It gives the bad news and it gives the good news. You see, before you'll ever appreciate the good news, you've got to know that there's bad news. The Bible says the penalty for sin, a wage is something you get for something you do. It's your paycheck for sin. The penalty for sin, the wage for sin is death. Now, what is death? Death is separation. There are three types of death. There's physical death, there's spiritual death, and there's eternal death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, immediately they died spiritually. They didn't die physically. That came later. Spiritual death is separation from God. I still have my body and my soul, but my spirit is dead. I have a spirit, but it's dead. It's not alive toward God. People that are lost, they're not interested in church. They can miss church, and, and, and they're not guilty about it. They can use God's name in vain, and they're not guilty about it. They can commit adultery, and they're not guilty about it. They can sin, and they're not guilty about it because their spirit is dead. Listen, never, never, never fuss at lost people for sinning. I remember one of my Bible teachers years ago said something at school, and I appreciated him saying it. Uh, lost people are not our enemies, they're victims. Now, I understand they choose to sin, but I got what he was saying. Sometimes we treat lost people like, like, like they're bad. Well, we were that way one time, and we didn't know any better. We, we were dead in trespasses and sin, Ephesians chapter 2. My spirit is dead. But Ephesians 2 says when you, when you come to Christ, when you, when you trust in Him, your spirit is quickened. Listen, it's made alive. That's what old English word means. It's resurrected. And all of a sudden, the, the things, John, John Phillips put it this way, the things I used to lo- loathe, I now love. And the things I used to love, I now loathe. I'm a different man. You're a different woman. See, the wages of sin is death. But then there's, a, there's physical death. When you go to a funeral home and you see a body, the body's there. And we weep because everything we see associated with that body is all that we know. I remember I went an hour ahead uh, to be with my father. He was in heaven. But I, I just rubbed his head. It's what I did the last night before I saw him. Dad, you're, you're the best dad in the world. Love you so much. You always like to rub his head. <laughs> I looked at those big old hands, mitts. Thought about how they disciplined me, how they hugged me. I looked at his face and I saw the tears rolling down his face, not just for me, but for many, many people. I looked at his mouth and saw the times that he cared for me. And he, he wept and he instructed me. Son, I love you. I remember when our church was in the deepest of trouble. 
We didn't have any money. I didn't know what I was going to do, and I didn't have a lot of confidants. And I said, Daddy, I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, Son, you just keep on doing it right and trust in God and helping people and telling people about Jesus and everything will be okay. And I just looked at my dad there, and I looked at the shell. But listen, his soul and his spirit, your soul is your mind, emotion, will. That's your personality. They were in heaven. But there was a separation because death had taken the body. And then there is eternal death. That is for the lost person. When the body is resurrected and reunited with the soul and the spirit, they are cast into the lake of fire eternally, what we call hell. Now, for a Christian, that will never happen because they have been forgiven. For the wages of sin is death, separation. There's spiritual death, there's physical death, there's eternal death. But the gift of God is eternal life or forgiveness. You can't have eternal life with that forgiveness through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not through an institution, it's not through the church, it's not through baptism, and it's not through denomination, it's through a person. It's through a personal relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we break the law of God, we are, we're lost. And the Bible says that we're accountable to God. When we, when we are born, we're separated from God. We're already separated from God from the womb. But I'm accountable to God when I knowingly and I willingly break the law of God. But here's the question. Listen carefully. Is it possible for a person to be forgiven of their sins and to know it? Is it possible for a person to be forgiven of their sins and to know that I am forgiven? Is that presumptuous? Some people think it is. Well, no, it isn't. Because it would be presumptuous if I said, well, I had something to do with it, but I don't. I have nothing to do with it. Listen carefully. Only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God, when you rest in that, when you put your faith in Christ and what He accomplished on the cross, listen, can erase your filthy record of unrighteousness before a righteous and a holy God. The, the best thing you can do when you come before God is realize that you do not have forgiveness and you need it. Now, what most people do is they don't, they don't treat the root, the need for forgiveness. They treat, they treat, I was fixing, they, they treat the fruit. They treat the fruit, which is guilt. They try to get rid of their guilt. Well, I, I, I'll treat my neighbor better. Well, I will, I will turn over a new leaf when they need a new life. They need Christ. I'll do, and notice what I'm saying, I'll, I'll, me, my. But the guilt is still there because of what I've done, what I've said, where I've been, who I am. And the guilt will always be present. And when that doesn't work, then come bottles, needles, and pills. And the alienation from God, the guilt that comes upon us, and the answers at Calvary. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Now listen carefully. The word forgive there means this. It means to send away. It means to omit. Omit. O-M-I-T. So here's what it means. God is saying, Jesus is praying for us that our sins would be omitted. That they would be sent away. Even greater that you deal with your guilt. That you would... Deal with your lack of forgiveness, with your sins, so that your relationship with God could be established. And the Lord Jesus Christ, when He's hanging on the cross, the first thing, the first thing He establishes and prays for is your greatest need and my greatest need, is that you would be forgiven of your sins. Now, only God can forgive sin because He's the one that has been offended, and the offended one always establishes the terms of reconciliation. And the basis of His plea and prayer is, listen, is what's happening, what is happening in that moment. And what is happening in that moment? The Bible says that He was being crucified and He was bleeding. 
and he was dying in your stead on your behalf. There's a word in the Old Testament. It's used a few times in the New Testament in different forms. And it's the word atonement, A-T-O-N-E. Nothing can atone for your sin but the death of Jesus. The word atone means to cover. You cannot cover for your sins by being baptized. You cannot cover for your sins by walking down an aisle. You can't cover your sins by joining a church or signing a piece of paper or by praying a prayer. You can't do that. The only thing that can cover for who you are and what you've done and your alienation and your rebellion against God is by coming to Christ and kneeling down before Him and saying, I have been a rebel and I just cry out for mercy and I ask you humbly to forgive me a rebel and make me your son and make me your daughter. This is all I have. There's a verse in, in or a line in, in the song, uh, Rock of Ages, it says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Now I want to give you some scriptures, and we're going to look at one. I had you turn to Hebrews 9 in just a moment. But I want you to look at some scriptures with me. I selected some key ones here. I'm going to put them up on the screen for you. That will help you to establish that Christ is the atonement. He's the covering for your sins. The first one's in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Notice here, the Word of God says, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Now let's just stop there. He's thanking Him for His grace, wherein... Wherein what? Well, he's just talking about his grace. That is, wherein his grace, God has made us accepted, don't miss that word, in the beloved. Now, I remember when I was growing up, I used to think that meant the church. The word beloved there is a name for Jesus. And if you can divide it up, it means to be loved. The beloved means to be loved. But it has this idea, it it is the person that is doing the loving. It is the act of loving, and it is being loved. And the one that is the be loved, or the one that is being loved, the one that is loving, is the Lord Jesus here. Now here's what he's saying. It is the grace of God that makes you accepted in the beloved. Now the word accepted there means to be encompassed with favor and blessings. And one of the greatest words in the Bible is the word favor. Uh, and grace gives you favor. Now, so many of us, we, we operate out of a performance mindset. That if I do better, God will love me. And it, some of you are saved, but you still have this mindset. Well, if I behave and I do good, God will love me. Listen, you can't do anything to make God love you more. And you can't do anything to make God love you less. God loves you. And he, as his son, as his daughter, when you mess up, he still loves you because you are accepted in the beloved. Now, he will spank you, but just like a son or a good father, a good father that loves his child will discipline his child. He does it because he loves his child, not because he hates them. You are accepted. You are favored because of the grace of God. And that doesn't come because you're trying to climb a ladder, you're trying to please God, or you're trying to join something, or you're trying to show God how sincere you are. It comes by you coming to the beloved, coming to the beloved, coming to Jesus, and listen, saying this, I can't do this. I can't live right. I still want to cuss. I still want to fight. I still get mad. And I want you to help me. I want you to help me. Would you please help me? And whether you're lost or whether you're saved, listen, after you get saved, you can still talk honest with God like that. You need to. Last night I went to bed early for me. It was 11 o'clock. That's early for me. I was tired and burdened, praying for my sister and praying for some other special needs in my life. And uh, 
And I didn't go right to sleep. I just prayed. And I just, I prayed to my father. Maybe I had Ephesians 1, 6 here on my mind. That I was accepted in him. And, and I think I have an advantage here. Now listen carefully. Not because I'm a good man. It has nothing to do with me. But I had a good earthly father. And some of you don't. Or didn't. And, and you stumble here. But I had a, I didn't, you know, dad made mistakes like all of you. But he was a good dad. And, and I was able to talk to him. And I just talked to my Heavenly Father that last night. And I said, Lord. And I just, he listened to me. You know how this is. You know how I feel about this. And I need help here. And I just talked to him. Because I'm his son. And whether I'm good, bad, or ugly, I'm his son. Wouldn't you like to be loved like that? It doesn't come in church membership. It doesn't come in the baptistry. It comes in the beloved. It comes in the beloved in Christ. Now notice in the next verse, it's in the same text. In whom? Now who's that personal pronoun? It's in Jesus, the beloved. In whom we have redemption. The word redemption there means the payment through His blood. We are redeemed. We are bought through the cross. Nothing you can do. Watch this. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. You do not have to earn forgiveness. You do not have to perform for it. It is a gift to be received. The minute you try to earn it, it ceases to become a gift. When, when have you come before God and said, God, I don't deserve this? I remember many years ago I was preaching on the grace of God for Easter from Romans 4, 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth them godly, his faith is counted for righteousness. We had five people that saved that day. Every single one of them were church members. I wasn't preaching to lost church members. I was preaching the simple grace of God. To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly people. His faith is counted for righteousness. I just broke the verse apart and I preached it. And these five people, they were adults. I, I, I remember I spoke in depth with two of them. I said, tell me, tell me how you came to this conclusion that you need to be saved. You know what they said? Here's what they said. They said, I never understood it until today. They grew up in this church, and they had heard it again and again and again. You say, well, how come they didn't understand it? The same reason that you didn't understand it. Most people don't get saved the first time they heard it. I didn't. Because of our human pride wants to add something to it. My precious wife didn't get saved until she was almost 30 years old. She grew up in church. She was a pastor's wife. She, pastor's wife. She's heard the best preachers in the world. I'm not talking about me. I'm serious. She's heard other preachers, the best preachers in the world. And if you, if you were to talk to her, she would say, I didn't fully understand it. Oh, I believe salvation is by grace. But in the deep, this part of my heart, I felt like, well, just in case, I better try to do something. Oh, no, no, you're, you're accepted in the beloved and you're redeemed, the Bible says, by the blood of the cross, the forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus prayed on the cross, he said, he said Father, forgive them. Have you been forgiven? Well, I, I'm a member of the church. No, have you been forgiven? Well, I've been baptized. Have you been forgiven? I've walked down the aisle. Have you been forgiven? Ha, have you trusted in the beloved one? Stop swimming and start trusting. They teach these lifeguards. Uh, when you go out there, if they're, as long as they're struggling, leave them alone. They'll take you under. Wait until they stop struggling and then go rescue them. And a lot of you, you're, just, you're still trying to earn it. You may be here this morning and you're sincere, but you're lost. And good people don't go to heaven. Safe people go to heaven. And you can't be saved until you know that you're lost. 
In Hebrews chapter 9, would you look there with me? Look at Hebrews chapter 9. Look at verse 12. Hebrews 9, 12. In the Old Testament, the way they offered their sacrifices was through animals with priests. And here the Bible talks about this transaction that we have through the blood of Christ on the cross that that clears our conscience, said the Old Testament sacrifices could not. Hebrews 9, 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, these are the Old Testament sacrifices, but by Christ, His own blood, He entered in. Now watch this, once, because they had to go in every year with the priest. He only went into the holy place once. I believe He did this in heaven. After he was resurrected, that's why he told Mary when she would, he said, touch me not, for I've not yet, I'm not yet ascended. Because you could not touch the high priest while he was about his business. And Jesus had not been, he had not yet been ascended yet to offer the sacrifice. But he only went in once because he only died once. That's all he had to. Having obtained, and look at this, eternal redemption. It's not 10 year redemption. Well, I was saved for five years and I lost it. I was saved for seven years and I had that little incident. It's not five-year redemption. It's eternal redemption. And I circled it for us. The word for is a substitutionary word. It wasn't for him. He didn't need it. It was for us on my behalf. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, these are needy people that need forgiveness in the Old Testament, Sanctify to the purifying of the flesh, that is, the needs of their sins. How much more shall the blood of Christ, this is one of the mentions in the Scripture of the entire Trinity, not a lot of these in the, Old, or in, in the New Testament. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, because those animals were, were inspected, if they had a defect, they couldn't be offered as sacrifices. Jesus was not just without spot externally as the Son of God and God the Son, but internally He had never sinned. Without spot to God. Now, now pay attention to this. When he, when he was sacrificed, not just for your forgiveness, but look at this. Purge your conscience. Now, what does that mean? Well, it continues. From dead works to serve the living God. Some of you think you you have to serve God to please Him. No, 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 no. Your conscience is clear. Those are dead works. The moment you, you, you do that, they're dead to God. When you touch the priest about his work, uh, the priest's work metaphorically became dead. I can't do it anymore because you touched me. And when you touch it with that wrong motive, it's a dead work. But when my conscience has been purged because I've been forgiven, I've been cleansed. And I'm going to talk to you about this next week. This is my standing. This is where, this is where God has put me. Now I, I'm free. I'm free to serve God. This is my position. I have joy now. I have privilege. I, I don't have to serve God. I get to serve God. This is not a legal binding upon me. Well, I, I got to go to church. I got to keep the nursery. I have to do. No, I get to do this. My conscience has been purged. I'm not doing this to get my sins purged. For me, that happened. For me, that happened when I was a nine year old boy. My sins were purged. I'm still not perfect, but my sins are purged. Let me show you some more verses. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 is speaking of Christ, who his own self bare or carried our sins in his own body on the tree. The word bear means to, B-A-R, it means to carry. It's used of Old Testament priests that were leading or carrying the animals to the altar. Well, Jesus was the sacrifice, who his own self, and what was he carrying? Our sins in his own body on the tree. He was our substitute. He died for you. He died in your place. You can't do that because your sacrifice is tainted. Isaiah chapter 53, 5 and 6. But he, Jesus, was wounded for. Now I want you to watch the preposition for. It's a term of substitution in place of. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, and that's your peace with God, that's your forgiveness, was upon Him. Your, your, your forgiveness was upon Him. Not in the sacraments, not in the priest, not in the preacher, not in the church. It was upon Christ. And with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way. And the, look, the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He, he is, He was my substitute once and for all. And He secured my freedom. And when I come to Him and I rest in that, and I say, you are my beloved, I take you, not because I'm good. And I walk away in freedom. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. And He is a propitiation for our sins. A legal term. To propitiate means to satisfy a debt with a payment. To appease someone that has been offended And He is the propitiation of the Lord Jesus for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He had to appease the wrath of His Father. The wrath of a holy God against sin. Now, the Father still loves you, but He's not only full of love, He's full of justice. And at Calvary, you see the love of God and the wrath of God met. Psalm 85.10 talks about mercy and truth are met together. They kiss together. He is a propitiation for our sins. Now look at this. This is good. Psalm 32.1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word forgiven there means to, to carry. I'm going to carry this. It means to bear the burden. You see, when someone forgives you, the person that forgives you, they're the one that bears the burden. You walk away scot-free. Now, you may have some scars because of the violation, but the one that offers the forgiveness, they bear the burden. In times past, when someone forgave people a debt, they had a big stamp, and they would send, if you owed money, they would send, and it would bang, and you get in the mail, said, forgiven. You don't owe the debt anymore. What do you mean you don't owe the debt anymore? It means that you're forgiven. You don't have to pay it anymore. They forgave you the debt. Now, the debt still exists, not in their mind. They paid your debt that you owe. We had a doctor. We owed him a couple of thousand dollars, and we were making payments on it. He decided to retire. We got word of it, and we said, Oh, man, we're still going to pay him, but we, we need to pay the whole thing before he retires. We were having this conversation. How are we going to be able to do this to make this up? We get a letter in the mail. Bang, it didn't say forgiven, but it may as well. Your debt is paid. Your debt is paid. Our doctor forgave our debt. You know what? He took the debt that we owed him and he absorbed it. That's what Jesus did on the cross for you. But look at the rest of the verse there in Psalm 32 and 1. Whose sin is covered. Your sin is covered. I looked at the Hebrew word. It's the same word used uh, when the flood came. Uh, The Bible says in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 21 that all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. What does that mean? It means that when you were looking, if you were looking down from the top, the whole world was covered with water. You couldn't see any trees. You couldn't see, you couldn't see anything but water. When God looks down from heaven and He looks at your record, He sees the blood of His Son. The word cover there means to conceal, hide, to cover completely. Some of you, you doubt your salvation and you run around and you're full of guilt. Have you been to the cross? Have you trusted in Christ? Your sin is forgiven. The Bible says that your debts are covered. Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 25. God says, I, even I, am He that blotteth out thy transgression. You see that? The word blot out means to erase, to abolish, to destroy. And he says, I do this for my sake, not because you're good, but because I love you. And I will not remember thy sins. Are you getting this? 
The word remember there means to recall to mind or to make a memorial. (laughs) He said, I don't have these little triggers or these remembrances. I'm not going to remember. I don't see you that way. Uh, Every now and then I'll have meetings with people and they'll say, well, you you remember, you know, I talked to you. You remember what I did. I said, no, I, I don't remember that. I don't. And I really don't. You know why I don't, I don't think about it. They think about it all. I don't think about it. Sometimes my kids will say, Dad, you remember when I... I, I don't remember that. I don't think about that. I don't look at you through that lens. Listen, you, you have been forgiven because your father, your friend, your pastor, and certainly and better than any of that, your, your heavenly father doesn't look at you that way. He's forget, but it's on the basis of justice, not just love. I'm almost finished. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against Him. Now I want you to notice the plural there. Mercies and forgivenesses. Do you like that? I like that. Mercies, plural, forgivenesses. You know, it's one thing to forgive somebody one time. He has forgiven you again and again and again under the blood of Christ. One more verse, and I saved the best for last. I guess they're all good. Micah chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee? Now, and then he tells who, who is this God that pardoneth? Iniquity. The word pardon means to get under a burden and lift it up and carrying it away. God takes my iniquities and he carries them away and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. The word pass by means to, to turn away from, to cross over. He passes over it. Who is this God? He retains not his anger forever. The word retain means to seize or fasten or bind on something. He doesn't seethe because he delighteth in mercy. The word delight means to bend toward, to take pleasure in. God God enjoys mercy. He delights in mercy. Some of you, you just love justice. Now, God is a God of justice, but the Bible says he delights in mercy. He loves mercy. And you don't understand this because you've never experienced it. But the Bible says, who is a God like unto this? Now keep reading. He will turn again. Now this means he'll turn back to you, not away from you. He will turn to you again. He will have compassion on us. Look at this. He will subdue our iniquities. The word subdue means to conquer or rule over. He will make you a new person. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You see, in their mind, if you wanted to lose something and never find it, there were, in the Hebrew mind, that was in the depths of the sea. You'll never recapture it there. And that's why the writer through the Holy Spirit put that in there. For who, who is a God like this? And then he gives this list of things. Listen, forgiveness only comes, only comes... Through the cross. When Jesus said, Father, forgive them, he was hanging on the cross. And the basis of his forgiveness was on the very place where he was crying for that from. You know, sometimes we say that Jesus died for you. But before Jesus died for you, he died for God. Christ died for God so that he could declare you innocent and pardon you. And for you can walk out of this room free this morning. Without having guilt, you can go to sleep. What if my heart stops beating tonight? Well, I'll die, but I'll go to heaven. A Sunday school teacher was trying to wrap their lesson up and make sure that the kids understood the lesson. She had taught on forgiveness and said, well, boys and girls, can you tell me what you must do before you can obtain forgiveness of sins? And it was real quiet. She didn't think, well, nobody got it. Finally, a little voice in the back, a little boy said, Sin? <laughs> what must you obtain to forgiveness of sin? And he said, Sin? 
Well, he's right. Before you can get forgiveness, you have to sin. You know, every person in here qualifies because you've sinned. And the good news is, is there's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And all who enter in can find freedom from the stain of sin. I read a story about Claire Barton who founded the American Red Cross and someone came to her and said, Claire, do you remember this person that violated you with this very vicious deed? And she said, no, no, I don't remember that. They said, well, I remember it. Don't you remember? She said, no. She said, I distinctly remember forgetting it. And on February the 18th, 1968, God distinctly remembered forgetting all of my sins. I read, a, I read a sad story. It's not long. An attorney, it didn't say which state, a Christian attorney had been meditating on Scripture. And God brought him to, under conviction, and he decided to cancel the debts of all of his clients that owed him money for more than six months. And he drafted a letter and explained to them, I'm a Christian, I've been thinking about this, and I, I just feel God wants me to cancel your debts. For all the people that owed him for more than said a lot of money. And so he sent them these letters via certified mail. 17 of them. To his shock, 16 of the letters were returned by the postal service, unsigned and undelivered. And here's what happened. The people thought they were getting letters because they were getting sued. This attorney, I owe him money. He's suing me. When he was sending them a letter of pardon and forgiveness. And you know, some of you, when you think about God, you think God is against me. And yet the first thing, the first thing he said when he was on the cross was God get him. And he could have. When you think about what all they did, but he said, Father... Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. And that's his prayer. And it's his prayer on this Sunday in 2022. Would you pray with me this morning? Would you bow your heads in prayer? This morning, God offers forgiveness to any person that's here and all that are here who would ask for mercy. I wonder if there's a man, a woman, a young person, young lady, young man. They say, Brother Rick, while you were preaching, God was speaking to my heart. And I need to be forgiven. I'm lost. I've been a rebel against God. I need Jesus as my Savior. And if that's you, I'm, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And the prayer doesn't save you. It's, it's the cry of your heart. It's not the prayer. But if you would like to trust Christ, and you would like to say, I, I want this guilt out of my life. I want to have a relationship with God. You pray this prayer from your heart to God's heart. And again, it's not the, the words of the prayer. It's the intent of your heart. But cry out to God with this. Would you do this from your heart to God's heart? You didn't even have to pray it out loud. When I got saved, I didn't pray out loud, but I was sincere. And here's how it goes. Dear God, I have sinned against you, and I've done wrong. And I admit that. And I'm really sorry about it. And I come to you today, and I'm in great need of forgiveness. Would you have mercy upon me? And right now on this Sunday, on February the 6th, 2022, would you forgive me and cleanse my heart and my mind and my record of sins and give me a new heart? Help me to live for you, help me to please you and to walk with you and save me. Save me from hell. Save me from myself. And change my life on this day. And forgive me. 
Thank you for saving me today. I believe what you accomplished on the cross, you did for me when you said, Father, forgive me, and I claim that promise today. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm looking across the auditorium now. If you're here today, you say, Brother Rick, I prayed that prayer, and I meant it from the bottom of my heart. I asked God to forgive me today. I meant it. And I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Nobody's looking at me. If you meant that, would you slip your hand up and down? I meant that. I see you. Anybody else? All righty, I see you. Anybody else? With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to share this message with people this week. Take a verse, maybe not even one I use. Would you share it with somebody that God can forgive us? God can help us. I'm going to have a stand just a moment, and we're going to sing, not even sing. I'm going to have Leslie play. We'll have Brother Tim stand down.